But for those that don't know why we're here and what is God's story. So God's story is a look at scripture and God's story throughout it. He's got a story and a rescue plan from creation through to revelation. Um, and it's God's story of his creation, his perfect world, the fall, and then his rescue plan to bring that all back to it is good. I loved how Lucy kept on saying that last month. It is good. It is good. And so Lucy was looking at the patriarchs. So she took us from Isaac through to, to Joseph. And as, as um, you guys have mentioned, she, um, she spoke a lot about typology. So like these echoes of Jesus through um, the scripture. And yeah, so she looked at how um, the, the brothers, so we had Isaac, we had Jacob, we had Joseph. Um, she looks at brotherhood and how like the, the Jewish nation was almost like it was the older brother in that prodigal son story. Um, talked about barrenness in this part in the God story. There's lots of um, females that, that can't have babies. Um, and how God is faithful even in our weakness and talking about that. Um, and then there was the, the blessing, how Joseph, um, not Joseph, Jacob fought through the night, wrestled for the blessing. And how Jesus, then there's these, these echoes that come through the, um, the Jesus narrative as well. How Jesus um, welcomes in the prodigals like the Gentiles. Jesus is, is faithful even when we aren't faithful. He's faithful in our weaknesses. And Jesus wrestled through the night, didn't he? The death and resurrection of Jesus for our blessing. Um, so Matt Long is with us this morning. That lovely face over there um, in Leicester. So for those that might not know, Matt um, was my youth worker um, from the ages of 15 to 18. So if you thought I was intense as an 18 year old, imagine as a 15 year old. And if you remember, um, once I spoke about crashing a car, that was Matt's car that I crashed. <laughs> we didn't tell him until he got in and it was like, oh, the steering wheel was all shot. Um, but yeah, so friendships throughout lifetimes, ups and downs. Um, Matt taught me lots of things as a young person. He taught me about coffee. He taught me about poker. He taught me about ultimate Frisbee. <laughs> but he also taught me a lot about the kingdom of God and as a young person to be inspired by this story of God restoring all things. Now I was just captivated so much so that my password for my laptop at that age was Church Without Walls and when everyone found out including Matt they all ribbed me for, for the years to come um, but also Matt introduced me to 24-7 so we ran loads of 24-7 prayer rooms um, across different youth events um, remember praying through the night and just being really inspired and caught up in that. And Matt's had an amazing journey um, from Birmingham. He's gone to France, he's gone to Stafford, and now he's in Leicester um, and working with the, the Church of England and inspiring more young people to, to set themselves on this crazy God story. Um, so Matt, I just, yeah, I think you're awesome. I'm going to pray for you and I'll, I'll hand over to you. Real. Yeah, God, we thank you so much for, for Matt, God. We thank you for all that you've placed in his heart, God. We thank you that, um, yeah, he's someone that really, really searches you out and finds you. And, um, yeah, God, I thank you for his heart for theology. I thank you for his heart for the world, for creativity. Um, God, I thank you that he is someone that um, puts others first and puts you uh, yeah, seek first the kingdom, God. I thank you that that is his life story, him and Bex um, and their three kids, God. We just pray 
for us this morning as we we hear this next installment of the God story. God, we pray that you would go before us, pray that, um, yeah, as we reflect on Moses, that there'll be nuggets here, God, to, to last us and to speak to us and inspire us again. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. Thank you very much. It's uh, great to be here. I also appreciate you start at 11 o'clock. So that's a reasonable time, I think, on a Sunday to kick off. Um, lots of things around here seem to start way earlier. Maybe that's just the Church of England. So, yeah, um, we're picking up on this um, on this story. Um, I think Charles stolen all of my introductions about what happened last time and, and where we are, so that's good. Um, let me start with, with this. Uh, this is a, a little quote out of a book here, which is about um, the seven stories that shape our world and the power and importance of story. And this will give us a framework of, of what we're going to do in the next 40 minutes. Um, so let me just read this and then I'll paint you a little picture and then we'll see where the heck we land. How about that? Story is the basic category by which we understand God's purposes and find our place in God's plans. The Bible, our primary source in this process, is a repository of stories, but so is the world we live in. Brands, products, friendships, careers, films, books, non-fiction as much as fiction, faith systems, philosophies, theories, all are story. They are narratives we use to make sense of the world and find our place in it. They are the drawings on the walls of the caves we live in. They codify and journal the world we know and speculate the world beyond. We are storied creatures. The best stories, says writer Michael Novelli, are those that give us a glimpse of ourselves. They show us who we are and who we could be. God's story is like this. It stretches from the beginning of time across our lives and into the future. It tells of a great and faithful creator who reveals the most beautiful way to live in rhythms of love, peace, and sacrifice. And so this is the power of story. Um, I think today, if um, Lucy stumbled into three Bs, we're going to go for three Ps, if that's okay. Um, and so, as, the, as that quote said, the, the story, this basic category, helps us to understand God's purposes. So that's our first P. And our place in the story. So in purposes, we're going we're gonna to use the story of Moses as a lens uh, this morning to, to try and explore these ideas of purposes and place. And as I've been politely asked to do, I'm also going to point out some Jesus bits within the story. So we've got purpose, place and pointers or promises. You can take your pick or just come up with a different word beginning with P. Um, so when I talk about purposes... I'm going to try and explore the um, who God is and what God might be up to. So purpose is who God is, his character, the things that drive him, um, and what God might be up to in the world and through this story of Moses. And then I've got some questions. I believe there's some breakout rooms later. So I'm not going to necessarily 
answer the questions because that would be silly because the wisdom's in the room. I'm sure you guys have got way more ideas than me, but I'm going to pose some questions which allow the idea of how do we find our place in this story? And then now and again, I'll point to where I see Jesus in this narrative um, because there's loads of it. Also, little disclaimer, I want to try a couple of experiments this morning. So I hope you're feeling experimental or uh, a little bit wild or creative. Um, we're going to try it. We're going to try it. A couple of little things that might or might not work on Zoom, but we'll see. So uh, uh, I'll also give you permission to <laughs> to not do it too, obviously. But um, we're going to do that. So Moses. So we're, as, as Joel said, we've We've, uh, you've, those of you here last time, you've um, did the whole patriarch thing from Isaac and uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and all the way through. And then we get to Moses. Now, it would make sense to start reading an Exodus, but I'm not. I'm going to read from Acts, because that's also where you find Moses. Fascinating, because in Acts 6 and 7, you've got the story of Stephen. Now, um, Stephen, you know, is this dude, he's full of the spirit, he's doing his stuff, and people aren't really keen on it. Um, and they, um, so they, they, uh, they lie about Stephen, and um, he's accused of doing all this stuff. And so when he stands up before the, the priests and, and the, um, uh, the powers that be, um, they say, are these accusations true, what you've been going around doing? And his answer is, he retells the narrative. He retells this story of what God's been doing and God is up to and, and finds his place in the story. So in Luke, uh, not Luke, what am I on about? Acts 7, you have this sort of summary of this the Israelite story from Stephen. So I'm just going to jump into a, a little bit of that. Um, I won't read it all because of time, but I'll just skip through and it will give us a bit of a, a sense of this story. And then we will do a bit of Exodus too because that's probably the best thing to do. So the chief priest said to Stephen, what do you have to say for yourself? Stephen replied, friends, fathers, brothers, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. Before he the move to Haran, he told him, leave your country, Abraham and family and go to the land I will show you. So he left the country of the Chaldeans and moved to Haran. After the death of his father, he migrated to the country where you now live and so on and so on and so on and here's the key bit i wanted to get to god said to abraham i will step in and take care of those who are slaveholders and bring my people out so they can worship me in this place they made a covenant with him and signed it in abraham's flesh by circumcision then you've got isaac and joe jacob and joseph and all the things you talked about and then we get to Moses. So this is from verse 20 in Acts 7. In such a time Moses was born, a beautiful baby. He was hidden at home for three months. When he could be hidden no longer, he was put outside and immediately rescued by Pharaoh's daughter who mothered him and her own son. Moses was educated in the best schools in Egypt. He was an impressive thinker and an athlete. When he was 40 years old, he wondered how everything was going with his Hebrew kin and went out to look things over. He saw an Egyptian abusing one of them and he stepped in, avenging his, his underdog brother by knocking the Egyptian flat. 
he thought his brothers would have been glad that he was on their side and even see him as an instrument of God to deliver them, but he didn't see it that way. The next day, two of them were fighting and Moses tried to break it up. Friends, you are brothers, why are you fighting? The one who had started the fight said, who put you in charge? You are going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian. When Moses heard this, he realized he was in the wrong. He ran for his life and left for exile in Midian. And we'll pick up the story a little bit later. What I wanted to start with is this thing of, um, Shoal sent me some notes from uh, the, you know, some people have done this talk before, and I was really excited and sort of confused. And the very first line, pretty much in big bold capital letters, was something along the line of, "The promise, the seed moves into the hiddenness, the womb of Egypt." And I was like, "Now that is poetic and beautiful, and I can get on board." But what the heck does that mean? And so. Lucy talked about this promise, this thing that God is doing. And then after that part of the story, you have this 400 years of nothingness and the Bible just skips over it. And we find the next part of the story is Moses gets born and gets born into this hiddenness, this womb of Egypt. And we know there's this promise, you know, from from Genesis 1, we have this thing of, Go forth, fruit, be fruitful, multiply, um, fill the earth. And this is what's happened is the uh, Israelites have found themselves in Egypt and they've lived out the promise. They've been fruitful. They've multiplied. They've filled the earth to such a point that there's so many of them in Egypt that Pharaoh starts to see it as a threat. He's really not OK with it. He's like, OK, these people are everywhere. I know we're putting them to work on the slaves, but there's so many of them. This is a real threat. What are we going to do? And it's into this environment that Moses is born. And it's into this environment, this womb of Egypt, this hiddenness, this darkness that Moses is born. And then the first thing his parents do when he is born is they hide him for three months. So I want to just take a moment to think about this hiddenness this darkness and I've got I think for me this Easter um which is only recently right um I, I really explored some of this stuff and I, I just want to offer you some of my learning from that um is I think sometimes we um we rush through that stage inevitably you have times when there's the struggle or a hiddenness or a darkness you know and um, for those of you who might have been doing lecture 365 recently and um, just the whole things have been exploring pete greg's book god on mute this thing of god's on mute god's hidden my prayers hit the ceiling i you know this struggle and i want to say that i think for a lot of the time i've been a christian i've just like that's made me just strive to rush and get out of that place to find the light, as it were. And I think this year I've began to learn, whether it's COVID, whether whatever, is sometimes we just need to lean in and to be hidden. And why do I say that? Well, I think there's something here about this universal pattern of resurrection, you know? Uh, we've already talked gardening. Who was it earlier who's got the allotment? The One of the main reasons I love gardening is this, is you have these seeds, 
And for, in order for these seeds to grow, you have to plant them in the soil, right? You have to hide them. They have to go into darkness. And the reality is there's very little else I can then do with these seeds. You have to just put them in the darkness and leave them. Yes, you can create a fertile environment for them to grow and all that sort of thing. You can water them. You can put them in the right light and whatever. But actually, you can't do anything else. You have to wait for the darkness and the hiddenness to do its thing so that the seed brings life. And it's, it's, it's simply a waiting process. That's why I always get stupid excited when something actually germinates and pops up through the hiddenness. It's like the best feeling ever. It's like, this is a miracle. Um, but there's something about the waiting and the the hiddenness and the miss, like, we, you just don't know, how does that work? We don't really know. And in the same way, there's that pattern of life and death and life after death, this universal pattern of resurrection that we constantly go through, like the whole life cycles of plants and animals and everything is this universal pattern of resurrection. And I want to encourage us that we don't want to rush through that waiting dark bit. Okay. Um, so, Here's a f crazy thing I'd like to try because because I'm I'm a big believer in the the kinesthetic the embodied practice the whatever I've got um I've got a little meditation that I'd like to read for you um which I wrote actually on Easter Day and then I've got um a very short piece of music which is basically and this will sound well trippy but um Wilderford John Bilber who does the music for Lectio three six five he's recently done a thing where he wrote an improvised song that he sang alongside nightingales in a forest. It's pretty cool. And um, so it's part birds, part John. So what I'd like to do, because there's something about a, a nightingale singing in the dark, that's their point. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to encourage you, if you'd like to, and this can be everyone, kids, adults, and everything in between, is to grab something you could potentially use as a blindfold. Now, if blindfolds freak you out, don't do it. I'm expecting to see a Chelsea scarf shot, uh, Christy. Um, uh, grab something. It could just be your hood sticking out of your head. Equally, you could just close your eyes. Um, but... Um, uh, I'd encourage you to get something that you can cover your head up. And if you feel like you don't want to be seen with a blindfold on, you can just knock your video off for Zoom. Because what I want to do is just do this meditation and listen to this piece of music. Um, but if if I know I'd find it really difficult to close my eyes for five minutes. So if you've got something to cover your face, and then just let's just wait and in, in that darkness. So if you go now, grab something. Or, or not, it's up to you. Or yeah, put your hood over or your head. Um, look at that. People are ready. I love it. I just like causing some holy chaos. Let's take a moment. Oh yeah, this is brilliant. I love you. You're so open to this. It's wild. Yeah, we've got coats. We've got handkerchiefs, scarves, hats, towels. This is cool. Very good. Okay, let's take a second in quiet.
I'm going to read this meditation. Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was in darkness. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, whispering, Hey you, passerby, allow me to catch your eye. Don't skim over me. Dive deep into the darkness. Resurrection begins here. There was evening, there was morning. While it was still dark, Mary came to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed, empty. Swollen eyes downturn, no rays of light, fingers in ears and deadly silence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was in darkness. Then God spoke and separated light from darkness, declaring, Have you seen anything like this before? Don't flee from feelings. Dive deep into the darkness, because resurrection begins here. There was evening and there was morning. While it was still dark, Jesus got up and slipped out to a solitary place to pray. Everyone is searching for you. Excited eyes lifted eastwards. Darkness slowly becoming paler. Ear to the ground. Dawn chorus drowns out dead silence defiantly. Dive deep into the darkness. Resurrection begins here. Join the chorus and sing. Thank you. 
twifts that turn and shape the air, turn the heart into the shape of something there. God, we thank you that your presence is with us all the time. We thank you that you use the universal pattern of resurrection. We thank you that resurrection begins in the dark. Amen. Well, thanks for uh, participating. Um, appreciate uh, you giving that a shot. <laughs> so we have this starting place. Moses is hidden for three months. And then Pharaoh issues this decree to to kill all of the Israelite babies because he's threatened. He's threatened by the numbers of Israelites. And so they take Moses out of hiding for three months and then guess what? They hide him again. They hide him in a basket and they put him on the river. And by chance, by fluke, by God's provision, uh, Moses is found by Pharaoh's daughter and he is lifted out of the waters. The, the name Moses means out of the waters. And here's a, here's a pointer. You think about out of the waters, you think back to Genesis 1, creation, the spirit of God over the surface of the waters. You think about Jesus's baptism coming up out of the waters. Here's a Here's a clear pointer that Moses' name, the action of Pharaoh's daughter pulling Moses out of the waters, points forwards and it points back. God is at work here. So Moses is pulled out of the waters and he becomes Prince of Egypt. If you've not watched the film, the animated classic, go ahead and watch it. It's brilliant. Um, he is uh, taught, as we heard earlier, he becomes an impressive thinker and an athlete. Um, he becomes a, a man, a, uh, a leader here in Egypt. He has all of this privilege and the best teaching. And then he, as we've heard, he goes out to see his people. He goes out to see the Israelites and they are enslaved and making bricks and um, building Pharaoh's kingdom. And so here's uh, the first sort of point I want to look at um, is in this moment, Moses, something snaps. Now, I don't know if any of you um, can remember a animation. This was really big when I was younger. Um, and it was Popeye the Sailor Man. Does anyone remember Popeye the Sailor Man? Come on, this this will work then if you know this. If you don't, something to watch on YouTube later, isn't it? Um, so, Popeye the Sailor Man, this animated sailor, he has a, a girlfriend called Olive Oil. Um, and then there's the big fat bearded bad guy, Bluto. You're with me so far. And basically every single short episode of Popeye follows the same narrative. I'm sure you're familiar with this. You know, essentially something bad happens. Bluto ends up getting Olive Oil. 
Papa tries to get him back, tries to get his girlfriend back, and he tries all these things. But Bluto, the, the bad guy, always seems to have the upper hand. And then you have the turning moment. Then you have this moment when Popeye says, I can't stand this. I can't stand this anymore. And then what does he do? Come on. <laughs> the, universal, yeah, the universal <laughs> sign of opening a can of spinach. He gets his can of spinach. He pops the spinach and doink, doink, doink. He's like Superman. And then he whops Bluto and he gets the girl. And, and, and that's what happens in every single episode. So the spoiler there, sorry. But the key to why I'm telling you that is not the spinach, although spinach is a good thing to grow and eat. It's very good for you. Is It's that pivotal moment where he gets to this point and he says, I can't stand this. I can't stand this no more. I heard some guy speak about this a while back, and he asked the question, what precedes vision? And the answer offered was, holy discontent. It's this moment where you can't stand something, you can't stand it no more, and it drives you to action. So in the story here, Moses has his own Popeye moment when he sees his people being slave enslaved and broken and and the injustice and he has this moment and it drives him to action now he obviously didn't take the best course of action because he he killed the guy and then he was uh, and then he fled to um the wilderness to midian and so my first thing here is is um in this little part of the story i've got so many pieces of paper here um is I guess the first question to hold for later is, and I'm going to try and make them all rhyme so it helps you out to remember them, but also for me, is what do you withstand? What are those things that just um, rile you and, and you react and you just want to see it? What are those injustices? And... Um, I think it's okay to be angry about just injustice. I think part of who God is and what he's up to is God is fighting this injustice. And guess what? He chooses us. He chooses us to be his hands and feet. So purpose of God, God hates injustice. What's he doing? He's choosing us to be his hands and feet to stand up against that injustice in the world. And that's in prayer. That's in action. And so the question, what is it that you withstand? What are the things that break your heart and you know break God's heart? Because that's one thing that can help us locate ourselves in the story of God. Question one, what can you not withstand? What drives you to action? Okay, so Moses, the injustice of, of, of the moment, the slavery of the people drives him to action. Now, he doesn't necessarily have the right action, as I've said, so he ends up in the wilderness in Midian. And so he carves out a bit of a life for himself there. He, he marries, he um, has some kids, he, he ends up becoming a, um, a shepherd for his father-in-law, Jethro. And so he's this shepherd doing his thing, shepherding the sheep. And then the next big moment in the story, as he's shepherding these sheep, you can pick this up in Exodus 3, 
is he's out doing his thing in the fields and then as he's out something catches his eye now um you know we're talking wilderness we're talking desert it's hot and bushes out there burn all of the time but this one particular burning bush catches Moses eye enough for him to stop and to take a closer look and as he stops and takes a closer look God speaks to him God calls his name twice he calls from the burning bush and says Moses Moses and this fascinates me because my theology says God is present at all the times in all places and he's probably always wanting to call out my name, Matt, Matt. Probably not from a burning bush, from, I don't know, from a tree, from, from whatever. And often it's me. I'm too busy. I'm too preoccupied with my to-do list. I'm too whatever to notice and to take a closer look and this is what i love about this part of the story with moses is he's walking through the desert he's doing his day job but he takes the time he something catches him in the periphery and he stops to take a closer look and i want to suggest to you that god's wanting to speak to you all the time and delights in your presence but it's about us just noticing God and being, do you know what? I'm going to take a closer look. And then what happens is he calls Moses by name. And what's Moses' response? Moses' response is to take off his sandals and cover his face. And he says, this is holy ground. God says, take off your sandals, cover your face, for the place you stand is holy ground. And so the second um, question I'd like to ask you, uh, you can use for your breakout room is, where do you stand? So Moses, call, um, God calls to Moses, 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 take off your shoes for the ground you stand is holy. And I, I want to say that question isn't just where do you stand, as in right now I stand in Leicester, you guys stand in your house, your living room, your kitchen, wherever you happen to be, but it captures this moment of um encounter with god and the next bit's fascinating is because um this is the point where god does the big revelation and um he reveals his name god reveals his name and his name is i am or yahweh this four-letter word um which is that I am who I am, I am who I will be. Because God is so big, you cannot put a name on him. But God reveals this moment. And it's because of who God is, that's who we are. And so, um, where do you stand, is the question. And this is to do with identity. And so I'll try another little quick experiment, if that's okay with you. You were so, so up for the last one. So I want to try this little thing. I like to call it a scratch liturgy, okay? And so it works like this. We're going to use the chat feature. Oh, if I do that, I'm only going to chat to Rob. How do I do it to everyone? There we go. Good. So here we go. Let me do this. 
I'll give you an example. So, do that, and then I press this button. Oh, yeah. I, I've got a bit of an um, infected finger right now. You probably don't need to know this, but um, it makes typing really painful. <laughs> so, here's the thing. God says his name is I am. And because of who God is, we are. So, I want you to do this if you can. I've just put this in the chat as an example. So think about this, and, and you can fill in the blank line for yourselves. And we're going to create a liturgy together that comes up with our identity here this very morning, the people in this room. This is our identity as proximity in this very moment today. Is I am, fill in the blank, because God is, fill in the blank. So, for example, I am loved because God is love. So in this moment, feel free to type your own version into the chat. I am what? Because God is what? So have a second to think about that. There's definitely no right or wrong. Feel free to do this or not. It's, there's no thing but type in the I am because God is statement. These are beautiful. We're gonna we're gonna read them out in a second. Yeah, these are great. So what what we're what we're gonna do? You keep typing. There's uh, I just like I said, I just like to get you involved and do some things so what we're going to do is this um is uh in a minute if you'd like to we can all unmute because this will be like you know way more fun if we all get involved so what i'll do is i'll read out maybe i don't know how many there is i'll read out three or four of these statements and then i'm going to say where do we stand and when i say that you can all reply we stand on holy ground yeah we're going to try it and this is our this is our scratch liturgy that we just wrote together and it captures this picture of who we are in this moment located in the big story of god because of who god is it, this is cool i get excited by this stuff this is prophetic right so if you're not finished typing just carry on typing away um and if you'd like to unmute and so when i say where do you stand you can all reply with absolute conviction that we stand on holy ground yeah so feel free to unmute we'll have a little practice and we'll, we'll pray this, we'll declare this. 
this morning. So here's a practice. Where do we stand? We stand on holy ground. I am loved because God is love. I am a kid because God is my father. I am free because God is grace. I am redeemed because God is a redeemer. I am creative because God is creator. Where do we stand? We stand on holy ground. I am not alone because God is family. I am inspired because God is creator. I am accepted because God is forgiving. I am safe because God is my shield. I am unshakable because God is my foundation. Where do we stand? We stand I am free because God is my savior. I am known because God knows all things. I am happy because my God is joy. I am never alone because God is always there. I am a gardener because he is the greatest gardener. Where do we stand? I am made in his image because God is my creator. I am healed because God is healer. I am blessed because God is enough. I am alive because God lives. Where do we stand? We stand on holy ground. Oh man. Amen. Well, that, that worked incredibly well. <laughs> <laughs> I guess someone with tech skills can save that and you can uh, copy and paste the text and you've got that as a prayer that you just wrote together as a, as a community. Because you stand on holy ground. You, you stand on the you are because God is. You stand in that identity. So question two, where do you stand? Locate you in the story of God. So Moses has this encounter at the burnished bush and he's standing there barefoot in the sand. And then guess what? God says, do you know what? I've got a little task for you. I'm going to send you back to Egypt back to the place you fled from, back to the place you grew up. And we're going to address that what you can't withstand question. We're going to address that injustice. God's promise is, I hear the cries of my people and I want to do something about them. And I'm going to use you, Moses. And Moses... <laughs> He then freaks out a little bit. He's just had this big encounter and this big, ah, this is my identity because of who God is. And then within a few seconds, he's like, yeah, good idea, God. I'm not your guy. I can't go back there. Who am I to go back there? I'm sure God in that moment was like, hold on, we just did this thing where you stood up. And, and, and so... We come to this next incredible moment, um, this incredible encounter where Moses is doubting. This is the end of Exodus 3, start of Exodus 4. Moses is doubting who he is. Moses is doubting that he can go and speak to Pharaoh. And um, God asks him a question, which we're going to adopt for question three today. He asks him the question, Moses, what is in your hand? 
find it at the start of Exodus 4. For the sake of a visual aid, I've got this stick that I've just found in front of me. It's actually what was an old school Sabutio goalkeeper for those people who are interested. But his legs are just left. So, what is in your hand, Moses? And Moses replies, a staff, a stick. And what's fascinating about this is that was the literal answer. He had a stick in his hand. But also, the stick in his hand was probably most likely a shepherd's crook. It was the tools of his trade. He was a shepherd. Not only was it representing, I guess, the tools of his trade, but as um, uh, it was also identity. And again, we get a little Jesus pointer here. You have Moses, who was the prince of Egypt, grown up in royalty, fled and stepped down and became a shepherd. Yet another point to the Jesus story. It represented his identity in those, you know, as a shepherd, that would mean you're a certain viewed as a certain class of people. So this staff represented his identity. It represented the tools of his trade. It was also, I love the literal, it was, what's in your hands? Well, there's a stick, right? What did God ask him to do? What is in your hands, Moses? A staff. God then says, throw it down on the floor. And what happens? Who knows the story? Oh, the universal sign of Zoom Snake. That's can of spinach. That's Zoom Snake. The stick transforms into a snake. Guess what? God asks you the question, what's in your hand? What are the tools of your trade? What are the God-given gifts in your hand? What are the things you are skilled at, passionate about, your talents, your passions? And God then says, hey, hey, throw them down and I will transform them. I will use them and I will transform them. And, and in the story, it turns into the snake. And then once he's laid it down and God's transformed it, he says, pick it up again. Now, you know, this is just me. I'm not into snakes. They like they scare me a little bit, you know. Um, to be honest, if I was Moses in that moment, I'd be like, do you know what? I'm, I'm OK. I'm not going to pick it up. That's a snake. Um, but he does, he picks it up and it turns back into a staff. Now, as you've laid down these things and God's transforming them, it's almost there is that slight fear about if God's transforming this, there is a fear in picking them back up. But the question is, what's in your hand? And then the invitation is to lay it down and let God transform it. Let God transform the skills and gifts and talents that you have by laying it down. And I just want a quick moment here. There's something to do with, um, which is why it connects to hiddenness. There's something to do with the cycle of a gift where it has to maintain movement and motion. So Charlotte and Christy invite me around for a meal. I go around, I'm sure Christy's cooked up a beautiful thing. We eat together, we have a glass of wine. It's a beautiful experience, okay? I then leave. There's something in me then that wants to invite them back to mine for a meal in return. By, by offering that gift of meal and hospitality and whatever, that gift creates a, 
an imbalance, a disequilibrium, and I feel like I want to offer to heaven back. So every time there's this gift transaction, it creates a disequilibrium. And so there's something about gift that needs momentum. So in the same way, if you think about what are the gifts God has given me, if we just take that gift and hold on to it, we block the momentum. So what's God's offering us? He's saying, I want to bless you with the gifts, but I want you to give them back to me, to lay them down, to create the motion. And if you let go of those gifts and give them back to me, I will transform them and do incredible things with them. There's something about momentum with gift. So for a second, I invite you to join me here is think about one of the things you feel that God's given you as a gift, right? And then I want you to to uh, imagine that thing is in your hand. You can you can do this physically with me if you want. Is imagine that thing in your hand. And then just imagine just letting it go. And laying it down. Say, God, I want to give this back to you. Transform it. Use it for your kingdom purposes in the world. So question three, what have you got in your hands? Now, I'm very aware of time and we're only into Exodus 4. And we've got like the entire book to go. Moses goes back to Egypt. He goes with his staff in his hand. He goes with the promise of God's presence, the place he is standing. And uh, the long and short of it, there's 10 plagues and we could get into them, but we won't. And ultimately, after these 10 plagues, and there's lots of Jesus stuff in those plagues, each plague goes against one of the Egyptian gods. And the final one, the 10th one, is all to do with the reversal of when Pharaoh killed all the firstborn children. And the 10th plague is about the firstborn um, of the Egyptians. And this is where Passover comes in and Jesus. And there's so much imagery around the, the slaying of the lamb and putting the blood over the doorposts and God passing over and all that Jesus imagery. But after the 10th plague, um, Pharaoh finally says, okay, I will let my pe your people go. And this is the point where Moses and all of the people, they come out of Egypt. Now, here's another phrase, out of Egypt. You think about the birth of Jesus. Jesus's birth, he was hidden in a stable in a town in the middle of nowhere. And after he was born, there was the dreams. And then guess what? Jesus, Mary, Joseph, they fled to Egypt until Herod was um, gone. And it's only when it was safe that they went back out of Egypt to Nazareth. So again, you have this, he does the Moses journey. Jesus does the Israelite journey. He goes to Egypt. He waits there in the womb, in the hiddenness, in the darkness. We don't really know anything about it. It's a waiting game. And then he comes out of Egypt to Nazareth. And so back in this moment, um, we'll, uh, we'll do one more question. We're back in this moment. They, the Israelites are coming out of Egypt and they hit the Red Sea, and here's the, another massive moment. And um, Moses is stood before the Red Sea. And what does he use? 
he uses the staff, he uses the rod, he gives it a doink and a doink and a, he holds up the rod over the waters. Again, you've got this all this water imagery. And it's the rod, it's 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 God's promise with him, it's his presence with him, it's um the skills and the tools of his hand, and God opens up a way in the waters. And the the uh, Israelites go through to the other side. And on the other side is the promised land. Now the second half of Exodus sort of 19 to the end it's basically all of they're just wandering around making bad choices in the promised land and and in the wilderness sorry and and you get um you get the 10 commandments that's a big deal and um, we've not got time for all these things you get the building of the tabernacle um and it's all about the presence of god with them in the wilderness and so my last question so you've had what do you withstand You've had where it, where do you stand? You've had what's in your hand. And then here's the last one. Where is your promised land? What is God calling you into? And so um, for Moses, it was this promise of the land flowing with milk and honey it was this thing that had been gone back for all the people before him i but i abraham isaac jacob joseph this promised land a land flow of milk and honey and so for us how does that help or how does that locate us in the mission of god is i think if you take these four questions together what are the things that rile you up and make you angry and drive you to action what are the things god's gifted you in your hand What's your identity? Where do you stand? And what are the people or the places? What are the lands God are calling you into? If you take those four questions together, it can kind of begin to get some clues and glimpses to where God is locating you in his story and his purposes. Let's take a... I'll leave it there, Sean. Is that why? Well, because of time, I mean, it's twelve. I don't know how. I don't even know how long we're going. I've just, I've just had so much fun. <laughs> we've written a prayer together. We put blindfolds on, and um, we've Matt, got some questions. No, yeah, no, that's incredible. I feel like we've just done a prayer slot with you. Is what I feel. <laughs> but, but like that. I mean, what an experience um, of of seeing Moses in that way and walking it through. Um, yeah, Matt just really felt God speaking to me and I'm sure we all did. Um, yeah. And to hear God together through that liturgy, um, there's so much there to unpack. So yeah. What, 